This is the We Spin Recipes podcast with Andrew Apanov. Andrew Apanov here and you're listening to the We Spin Recipes podcast. Today we've got Clyde Smith as a guest of the show and uh, many of you may know Clyde as an editor of highbot.com. He is not there anymore but he is involved in a number of other great projects like his own crowdfunding for musicians and Danceland. Clyde will tell you more about these ventures and uh, and, and his background overall in the interview itself and I, I will keep this intro rather short uh, as honestly I've talked uh, on this interview more than usual uh, but I really hope that you will find this conversation insightful and uh, the topic insightful as well. The topic is applying growth tactics and so-called growth hacks that uh, startups and mainly tech startups use to, to grow and to build their audiences and revenue uh, to the world of music. So how musicians can grow their careers and projects uh, grabbing this inspiration from the tech world. Clyde was one of the first people who wrote about the topic of applying growth hacking to the music industry, so uh, it was uh, particularly uh, interesting to talk to him about this. And uh, on a side note, I hope that you will have uh, a minute to check out wispin.co. Uh, we've updated the website and now you can sign up at uh, a new price and uh, we've got a whole new position so our new tagline in fact is growth training and community for musicians so if you have a second i highly advise you and this is my shameless plug uh, to check out wispin.co and sign up if you are interested now let's get straight to the interview with clyde smith hello clyde andrew how are you <laughs> Doing great. So it's a real pleasure to have you on this show finally. And yeah, I did a quick introduction to you and um, I provided a brief background about you, but I would really like to ask um, you to just talk about yourself a little bit because many listeners of this podcast and our subscribers and just people in the industry, musicians who are interested in music business, they know you as an editor and writer at Highbot, but there are so many interesting projects that you've been involved with. So can you mention a bit on things that you've been working on? Sure. Well, you know, I ended up at, let's see, I finished at Highbot back in around November. And uh, since then, I've been focusing more on a dance project called Danceland. It's a site right now. It's more of a blog with dance news and videos, but the idea is to do a much bigger platform for dance. Now, what a lot of people didn't know about me when I was writing at Hypebot is that I really got into the performing arts through music, sorry, through dance. I had some music training, but, and was doing like performing in choral groups and stuff in high school. But then in college, I got into dance and Music was always a big part of that, but that's where I, my real area of expertise is. And I got an undergraduate degree and had a fairly minor 10-year performance degree, performance career. I, it's hard to call it a career, but it's 
what I was focused on at the time. Mm -hmm. But like a lot of, say, a lot of musicians, you know, I was making money other ways and then pursuing this thing that wasn't making a lot of money because it was the most important thing to me to do at the time. And uh, I did some graduate work and this and that. And then I found myself basically unemployed in 2000 and kind of struggling to figure out what my place was at that time and started putting stuff on the web. I was actually writing about the local hip-hop scene in Greensboro, North Carolina, and started posting things on the web, and they took off. And that's how I really got into everything that I do now. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of stuff on my own with music sites, particularly in hip-hop, then sold those sites, started writing at Hypebot, and just dug in deeper to certain things I'd learned about the web. Because what was happening with the hip-hop stuff was I was doing a lot of things related to what we're going to talk about today. I was finding ways to grow my web traffic, to grow awareness of the site. And a lot of what I was doing was SEO-oriented, doing things so that I'd show up in Google. And I was actually very good with that. And in this whole area of things we're going to talk about, SEO is my real specialty. But at that time, you know, I was using it to compete with other sites. So I didn't write about it when I was doing hip hop. When I got to Hypebot, I started to write about these things. And because then I wasn't, I was just a writer. I didn't feel like I needed to hide my secrets. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I did a certain amount of writing about that. And now I'm applying it again, but to my dance site. And so. While some of this has been about bringing my life in the arts to the web and finding a way to make that happen there, there's also been this whole kind of behind-the-scenes tech thing going on that I think plays into what we're going to be talking about today. And basically, I mean, a lot of my current examples of things relate to my Danceland site. It's at dance.land, and I'm having to learn the new landscape which I've been following but not applying as much while at Hypebot. So it's an interesting topic to get into. Yeah, thanks for sharing for your background. I'm, I'm looking to your website, of course, and uh, the projects you're involved in. And yeah, it's interesting. I've read quite a lot of articles on Hypebot related to SEO. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's really good to hear about your background more because uh, for full disclosure to the listener, this is what I learned from you for the first time myself as well. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really glad to know these details. So today we are going to talk about the topic that you covered at Hypebot, I think, a year ago or so, and it's growth hacking. And it's the term that I didn't accept for a while. I just didn't see a difference with uh, online or inbound marketing and so on. Until recently, when I started reading more about the term and realized that all for what uh, we here have been doing, been pretty much growth hacking in some ways, there are some differences uh, compared to online marketing and more of a traditional marketing. And there are some, uh, still some people who disagree with using this term. They don't think it's anything original and can only be confusing. But I want us to start with just your approach towards the term. So what does it feel a very specific niche in the tech market, for example, or it's applicable to any industry? And when was the first time when you discovered the concept of growth hacking? Yeah, you know, 
gosh, it's hard to say exactly. I mean, I, a lot of, um, even what I was doing at Hypebot, a lot of that was about following the tech scene and then translating it to music. So they have their own world with the tech blogs and all that stuff and Silicon Valley, their terms become popular. So I can't remember when growth hacking broke through. There's uh, stuff online about that, and I've got some references I can send your way. But it did seem, it was like suddenly people were talking about growth hacking, and the stuff they were describing was stuff, a lot of times we'd already been doing under other names. Like you say, there was anybody in online marketing was already doing some of those things. And in fact, one of the classic examples they give is when Hotmail came out, that was an early example of a free email service. You know, Microsoft bought them eventually. But when they first came out to grow, they added a little line that showed at the bottom of each email that said something like, get your own free Hotmail, you know, at here at the particular link. And that was kind of a new Something about that was really new at the time. It sounds very mundane now, but this is like, wow, maybe over 15 years ago that Hotmail came out. So adding that little line allowed their service to go viral because everyone was who used Hotmail would use it to send out to all their friends and it would have that little link at the bottom. So their friends started picking up on it. So the growth hacking as a term has just been around in the last few years. But I think one of the things that's telling about that, what they did with that email, was it was a very small, in a sense, almost a technical trick. It was a very small, simple thing that had huge returns. So when I think of growth hacking, I think of the specific areas of growth that are about doing these small things to have really large returns. Right. And they often focus on kind of technical stuff. People talk about A-B testing. They do a lot of testing of if we make something red, how does that compare? Do people click on that more often than they click on something that's blue? Now, you could approach that from a psychological direction, but the nice thing about the web is you can sit there and automate your analytics and get these really quick reports. So there's something about growth hacking that really seems to hinge on these technical things that start to kind of take out all the, a lot of the creative, almost artsy end of marketing and focus really in on the technical stuff that often doesn't require somebody to have a background in marketing to do. Yeah, and it made me feel uh, somewhat good because I don't have... uh traditional marketing backgrounds. I'm an engineer. <laughs> so it's what it felt kind of after I was reading about this, like now it makes sense why my passion for technology kind of is applied to marketing in a way. But I really like that you started explaining the term uh, with an example. I've read a number of definitions of growth hacking and uh, most of them are sort of confusing or just not too specific. Uh, there are some good ones for sure, but I think it's best to just talk about specific strategies, examples, and uh, growth hacking methods to understand it. Because uh, when you just uh, start to get the concept based on um, what people have been doing in the area and what fields of marketing it includes, 
it just starts making more sense. And I want us to talk about probably even different uh, general stages that growth uh, hacking uh, campaign, let's say, although it doesn't make too much sense, but anyway, may include. So this loop, yeah. Well, let me just, one thing I want to throw out there, and you just hit it with, when you said growth hacking campaign, that sounded a little off. And I think the concern a lot of people have is that growth hacking focuses in so much on these specific techniques, things that often seem like tricks, that you lose sight of how it fits into the larger picture of how you grow a website or grow a musician's brand. And in fact, there's been more in tech settings, there's been pushback with people just using the term growth for that whole field. And for example, if you wanted to, like if you're working with a musician to help market them, one of the things you'd look at is their website set up, like is it optimized for search engines? Is it easy? Is it an interface that's easy for people to find what they need to buy things, to do whatever? Now, nobody would really tend, normally call that growth hacking, but if you're concerned with growth, that has to be part of it, almost like a foundation. So that's another reason I think when people started hearing about growth hacking, it was like, wow, we've already been doing this, and it seems like a much bigger thing. So. Mm-hmm. That's something to keep in mind because you want to be able to step back and put the techniques into bigger context of what you're doing. Right. So it's like tactics versus uh, strategy and uh, exactly. and, heaven. and one thing that I think is important, and at this stage of the at this part of the conversation, it makes sense to bring it up. I think that the difference between a growth hacker or a traditional marketer is that. Usually a marketer works with a product that is already created. And when we're thinking about growth hackers, they can, I mean, in the tech scene, they can release an app and uh, they can use analytics to see how exactly, like what feature can make help uh, the app go viral, for example. They can test, they can implement their knowledge. And uh, uh, the process of creating the product is a part of, this whole growth hacking thing. It's not like you are just promoting something that other people created. You have to be creating uh, the product or you have to be a part of the team from the start. And so it will apply to musicians, in my opinion, because uh, musicians who promote their music, they promote what they create. I didn't say that they need to, that the arts should suffer, that you need to create music that fits something. But you can apply some of these ideas early on, even like thinking about the title for your new album, for example, or thinking about the cover artwork and things like that. So will you agree with this idea that if uh, you apply the growth hacking mindset to music, it's wise to start thinking about this during the songwriting process or just the recording sessions, for example, if it makes sense? That's an interesting I mean, that's an interesting question. I think we're musicians, most of the musicians I know certainly would have issues with growth hacking is when you apply things, I mean, like A-B testing, okay? So A-B testing on a news site is where you generally see it. Like people will post something, some viewers will see one headline, other viewers will see another. 
And then the one that does best becomes the new headline. It actually gets more sophisticated than that, and there's some little traps, but that's the basic idea. When you think about that for a song, for a musician, you know, you're struggling with really the romantic tradition of the artist, which is that he's kind of, he or she is channeling this stuff, bringing it into the world. There's a purity to it, and it has to be what it is. It's this thing that came out of your artistic struggle. So when you say, okay, we're going to take this thing that came out of your artistic struggle and, you know, the name for this song, okay, maybe that expresses all that, but we want to test it to see if people will like it better if you call it something else. Mm -hmm. That immediately puts a musician in the traditional, in a situation he or she doesn't want to be in because even before growth hacking, you know, say you get on a major label, they're going to sit there and say, well, we think this would be better to get fans, even though we know that this other name is what really represents you. So that's actually an area that might be the most difficult Right. One to apply it. You see Absolutely. I'm yeah, I, I've been thinking about this. I'm just so glad that you brought it up because the, I see this issue really well, especially after years of working with musicians. But maybe there is still a way. Maybe if you don't touch the creative process, maybe like highlighting the uh, whole process of uh, the creation. So what if an artist documents, which is common, the recording session or how something was created and uses these materials for to grow and to get more fans and to get them more engaged and things like that. So I'm just intrigued by the idea of uh, finding a way to apply these ideas to the whole yeah, process of yeah. creating that, but without disturbing the artist. And uh, yeah, because I know what you are saying here for sure. It's an issue. Artists create arts. They don't want to think about these growth things as much during that session. So it's separated contrary to developers. I imagine writing code, maybe thinking about growth right away. I feel like we may get a lot of, like I may get a lot of enemies among musicians and developers uh-huh. out of these words. Anyway, so yeah, thank you for this insight. So let's talk about some of the general directions of growth hacking process, let's say, because a great and global topic we can cover a ton of different things but what if we talk about things like product market fit and if it's applied to music we can just take one term from the growth hacking theme and see how it can be applied to music what do you think well you know that's product market fit was actually something i wanted to talk about the thing about growth hacking is generally speaking you're talking about trying to grow things as rapidly and as big as possible, whether that's your Facebook numbers or your SoundCloud followers or your email list subscribers, which we should talk about more specifically for done. But what happens when you get that growth before you have product market fit in a sense? Now, one thing that happens, sometimes musicians early in their career, they might play with a You know, everybody's different, but I've known a lot of people that when they first started playing, they'd play in multiple groups. You know, they'd have some people they'd jam with. Maybe they'd have a more serious project plus a side project. So they'd be doing different things, but eventually something gels and kind of brings everything together and connects with fans. 
And once you have that feeling, okay, that you're really on target with your music, you're really connecting with people, it makes sense to try to grow that thing. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking, oh, heck, I'm forgetting his name now. There was a rapper who has never made it huge, but he's actually, oh, oh, Tyga. Do you know Tyga, T-Y-G-A? Yeah, I think I've heard the name, but I'm not too familiar with the music. Yeah, he's... um, He's gone through some different things, but he's really a little more of a hardcore rapper now. He started out, I think he was trying to keep profanity out of his music and stuff. But even his early stuff was basically rap music. But he first signed with a major. Their second single of his was almost like a dance hall tune. He didn't normally do it. It didn't really have anything to do that I could see with the rest of the music that was out at that time or with what he's done since. I think occasionally he does stuff like that, but it didn't really represent what he was doing most of the time, but that's what took off. Mm -hmm. And I remember like people going, suddenly Tyga had their attention. This is when I was into hip hop blogging and was really following what all these people were doing. And they were going, you know, the question was, wow, can I get into rap and dance hall rather than going, you know, because what had happened was there was that fit to the market. That's what blew up yet it wasn't the right thing for him. So suddenly he was experiencing growth with something that was almost the wrong product. Well, it was the wrong product market fit because it Mm -hmm. didn't represent most of his music. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, everybody has to decide for themselves when they're reaching that, but that's something to consider before you go really wild and put a lot of money into things or push to be known all over the world. It's like, I think that's the one of the big problems with the web too is, you feel like you could reach a world audience immediately, and that's a little deceptive and dangerous. I mean, even on the web, there might be an initial period where you don't try to grow, where you try to find your audience. So that's something to consider. But there is an independent artist, let's say, in any genre, and uh, that artist really likes the music that they are creating, and they don't want to move to other genres they don't want to pivot in the nearest future and uh, Uh, their goal is to find the market for their music so i guess it's a bit different i'm just thinking out loud here so it's a bit different from an app that you can adjust to particular market that you've discovered for example so what would you recommend well i mean i think that's a good point too for people that i mean i'm mainly right when i was writing at hypebot I was more for DIY and indie musicians. That's been my focus. But we've all watched the pivot's a great word for what some of these pop stars do when they're trying to find their pop star audience. Right. And that's just a very, that is a very different issue. To be honest, I don't think any musician should feel like they have to adjust to reach an audience unless reaching that audience is the goal. And each musician has to decide. I think a lot of people work the same way People in other artistic fields do. They create what they think is the best. They try to keep improving that. And in the process, they find an audience. But a lot of times that defaults to other people who kind of define it for them. And there's a whole discussion that could be had there. I think in terms of growth hacking, you know, if you're clear about what you're doing artistically, growth hacking is something still that's incredibly useful to get that out in the world, to grow awareness of what you're doing, particularly if you have something that's a little edgy or out of the ordinary that's hard for people to pick up on at first, your people might be really scattered 
widely around the world. So, you know, growth hacking techniques can help you find quicker ways to reach those people. So I think that's kind of more the angle to take it from there. Right. So if you are very confident about the genre you are in, you don't want to move to other ones, there are still things that you can uh, experiment with, even things like niche marketing, applying some non-musical interests and hobbies and values of an artist to the overall image or maybe seeing, uh, testing different markets in different countries. So yeah, if you think about this and applying everything that you've just mentioned, this term it still applies to music, even to independent musicians. Right. Absolutely. Good. I like that. I like how it's going (laughs) so far. A related question is about what metrics to grow. Because, and I remember that you mentioned something about social networks and email. This is something that some of our listeners may be asking right now. What exactly we're thinking about? Just these sales, the numbers of followers? Do you have an idea of what to focus on in the first place, even for it may vary for different artists. So do you have any recommendations here on yeah, the metrics, I, maybe? These are great. So you're asking all the things that I wanted you to ask. So <laughs> that's great. Uh, I mean, I think what to grow is really an issue. Um, there's a concept out of tech of one key metric focusing on, you know, one thing to track that really defines your growth efforts at that point. And I have to say, that's one essay worth looking up on Hypebot. It's one of the things I wrote that I felt was really good for a long time. I mean, a lot of my writing was kind of ephemeral and passing news, but the idea of from tech of one key metric is very powerful because you've got all these social networks. I mean, where do you start? And it's easy to get overwhelmed by all the options. Now, in the early period, you know, you're trying to expand awareness. So things like getting more followers on social media seems like a pretty obvious thing. Unfortunately, that's where, you know, to be honest, I think you could look at buying fake Facebook followers, social media followers as a growth hack that actually works against people. Now, the fake followers thing, that's another big conversation of its own. But I think what we've seen with people is that it's generally a mistake to do that because it's usually obvious that you suddenly gotten all these followers and there's no real reason. You didn't get a lot of press coverage. You don't have something out that everybody's excited about. It's like you're some guy out of the unknown that suddenly has hundreds of thousands of followers. I did see that work temporarily for a guy named Baker. I don't know if you picked up on him. He was an electronic musician. He suddenly appeared on the scene a couple of years ago with hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube. Oh, it was the YouTube views, I think, were his big thing, although I think Uh he had a lot of Facebook followers too. Billboard did a piece on him. MTV, one of the MTV tech blog did a piece on him and took it all at face value. And partly, I think there were some personal connections that he worked to get their attention. But they basically looked at it and said, okay, this looks legit. And I wrote, I pretty much pointed out all the reasons that it looked fake. Uh And then I I said or assumed that we would see over time. So I went back the other day. He totally disappeared after that. Nothing else happened because he didn't have a follower. And people, they got the look because they'd done that hack by buying followers. 
they got some press on it, which gave a bunch of people a look at his music, and it just wasn't that good, and he wasn't that compelling. Yeah. Now he's gone. So that would be an example of something that really fits, I think, a lot of definitions of growth hacking, but was a, a bad move. Now, one of the things I know people are really working on now is building email lists. That's not new, but in music, what we're seeing as things shift, the folks that are maintaining email lists and communicating intelligently with their fans, not bombarding them, but using them as a way to maintain contact and let people know what's up and show a little bit of their personal side, hopefully in the process. That's where a lot of the value of really serious fans is being captured. Mm-hmm. And so people are really interested in building their email list. And I think whatever you're doing on social media, you should always be building awareness of your website and of your email list. And the email list seems to be the way people are really connecting and tying things together. So I think once you really feel like you're ready to grow, focusing on building that is actually a lot can be a lot more important than having a bunch of followers on YouTube or Facebook, especially because we're seeing that those followers are less valuable than they were. They aren't necessarily going to even see what you post on Facebook. Exactly. So I would say whatever you're doing, continuing to build things that you own that connect you directly to your fan is always the most important thing. That's a great tip and something that we keep talking about. I see a different issue, I guess. And uh, after starting to work with uh, electronic musicians more, for example, I discovered that something that is somewhat obvious to bands or artists and other genres, up-and-coming producers and DJs who are new to the whole music industry theme, they do not see a value in email lists. So uh, we have been educating them and doing our best to explain the importance of it. But sometimes people just don't get it right away. And the biggest issue is that they don't know how exactly to use the email list. So communicating, mm, yeah. you, you are absolutely right that it's not a way to just promote your stuff. It's a way to communicate with a fan and it can be so powerful. And uh, yeah, we've seen examples with uh, starting with MySpace to Facebook, where you cannot reach people without paying to Facebook and so on. You want to own the channel of the communication. So yeah, it's a good one. So overall, I think we are clear here. Just to sum it up, key metric, I mean, it's really important. It will be varying from artist to artist from uh, different stages of a career because it may be different for someone who just starts to build an audience and someone who has a steady following and has uh, the goal of monetizing that following, let's say. But this is generally good. So next, we can cover yeah several things, I guess. Maybe you, at this stage, want to mention an example of growth. You've uh, mentioned a bunch, but just well, the, yeah, this concept of using the tactics. We've been talking about this, but haven't provided way too many examples. Yeah. Well, there's one that Candler Doyle brought up in a Twitter, little Twitter chat about this upcoming podcast, he talked about growing, like a lot of people grow their email list by offering a free download, you know, in exchange for email. Right. And that can be 
I would consider that a growth hack because it can can add a lot of boost to your effort to grow your email list. But he was also pointing to something that I think relates to what we're seeing with like electronic musicians is, okay, he hasn't seen this happen yet, but he's concerned about it. As everybody's, as people are starting to move away from downloads to streaming, there's the potential that event, that offering a download for an email address may become less enticing over time. So what would come next? And the added thing, which you mentioned, I had, wasn't thinking about this so much, but generationally, we're seeing a shift away from email, mm-hmm. you know, to messaging, various forms of messaging in particular. So you've got this problem here. You've got this little growth hack that's really been effective for some people. Um, some people have used that not necessarily to build huge followings, but to boost and strengthen their core following as while also getting the word out. What mm-hmm. happens if that goes away? And the thing is, what you have to do, I think, at that point is look at what is it you're doing? You know, it's based on actual people's behavior. It used to be, while digital feels more ephemeral than analog, you know, you can have an object in your hand as opposed to a download. A download still has that kind of sense of being an object, mm-hmm. something you could trade, something you can buy, something you can own. Whereas streaming is this shift to access. And so it's not like addressing this issue of how can I keep building my email list with by offering music if people don't want music in that form, you know, really requires you to step back and look at what's changing and look at the larger behavior. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might mean you have to turn away from that particular tactic and find something else. Or it may be that we'll start having more tools, and you would be more aware of this than I would say, I assume you can do like some kind of private, invite people to a private SoundCloud feed or that kind of thing so that they could give you an email and perhaps you'd give them a code so that they could stream something right away without it being just available to the general public. So technically, I don't know how you do that, but... That's a good one, yeah. That would be, that might be a transitional thing while you're figuring, you know, to see, that'd be worth testing, I think. Yeah, and I'm obsessed with different uh, ways of uh, building uh, membership-only communities for musicians. I think it's possible even with a relatively small audience because the uh, yes. the size, it doesn't matter that much. It's about the engagement. So if you have 100 people who are really into what you do, you can start with a simple Facebook group, which is really simply simple to do and start to communicate with people so they feel special and with downloads, I hear so well. It is indeed something that we've seen. People are not that excited about MP3s, but you can always come up with a bundle containing some other exclusive materials. So you yes. can experiment with that. And yeah, definitely a room for improvement. And I think you will agree with me that growth hacking overall is about finding things that uh, no one else has done in the past. Because if you repeat the same technique all over again, since uh, bands have been giving away MP3s for so long, it just stops being so effective as it was in the yeah. past. So you need to come up with something else. Hackers are people who find solutions that haven't been tested or used in the past. Sometimes they may be even unethical, but it's a different topic, I guess. But 
it's just finding something that will bring the person or the company or the brand or band to the goal as soon as possible. So, I mean, I really like how, how this is going. I can imagine how we uh, talk for three or four more hours just on each of the topics that, <laughs> I mean, that is related to growth hacking. But just to not make it way too long, this episode, I definitely want to discuss this with you uh, more in the nearest future. What other elements of the growth hacking process would you like to bring up and highlight in, in the context of music? Okay. Let me hit a couple of high points uh, real quickly. Um, one, one thing that you mentioned, the idea of having to find new things because the old things become worn out. I think what actually happens is something new gets introduced and there's a window where you can benefit from that. And part of growth hacking to me is fast following. Somebody has something that can boost things, you do it immediately. You have to go for that because you're only going to benefit from it for so long. And the reality is, it's very hard to come up with anything new. I think anybody sitting there trying to come up, most people trying to come up with something somebody's no, nobody's ever done, usually just comes up with something they haven't heard of yet. It's just so difficult. There's so much that's already been accomplished. But, okay, so fast following. A great example is right now, okay, a lot of people do their sites on WordPress. And there was a plugin that came out last year called Optin Monster. I think it was last year, sometime in the last two years, Optin Monster. It helps you build your email list with followers on your web, with people that come to your website by doing a little pop-up box. And it's something that you can have. And this wasn't a new idea that they came up with. They're just a very, you know, it's just a good plugin. But, you know, you come to the site, you can set it so the thing pops up as soon as you get there saying, hey, why don't you sign up for it? Or that has a little cursor tracking thing that kind of um, figures, that guesses when the person's about to leave and then it'll pop up then. Yeah. Okay. And that's cool. I, I bought it. And what happened almost immediately is it spread through the WordPress community and on WordPress related sites, suddenly everybody had them to the point that it became annoying. Yeah, Because you'd go to the site and like, I clear my cookies every day. So every time I'd go to the site, the next day, the thing would pop up again. So already it feels like something that people within that particular scene, like WordPress, bloggers, following news about WordPress, that it's already kind of been overused. Now, I don't know if that'll affect the thing, but you know that's a great example of something that was really hot and then almost quickly felt kind of tired. Another concept that people might want to check out just to introduce it is that of scaling, because it's one thing to get a lot of people suddenly following you or suddenly wanting to buy your music or come to your website, but you may not be ready for that, the level of growth you get. Mm -hmm. Okay. So growth is one thing, but how your whole operation keeps up with that growth is another. Now, a great example Oh, heck, I'm forgetting her name. There was a singer who I met through Facebook. I really enjoyed her music. She was doing this thing on Facebook where she would talk to everybody that left her comments. And she felt it was really important to do that. Mm -hmm. But she then got promoted on, I'm sorry, on YouTube. This is all on YouTube. Well, no way. Right. What am I saying? Yeah. What? Blew her up was uh, Michelle Fan, who's a big star on YouTube, started using her music. And she got promoted both on YouTube and Facebook suddenly by Michelle Fan and 
she suddenly had this gigantic following of people that wanted to interact with her, and she just couldn't keep it going. And we talked about at one point, she was like, wow, I'm, she was not able to scale the way she was dealing with her fans when it got bigger, when she mm-hmm. got the growth. She just wasn't prepared to do that. And it became a psychological struggle for her. I think she's a little obsessive compulsive, so it played into that. And so she got the growth without being able to scale it. And that's something to uh, pay attention to as well. That's a great point. I haven't been thinking about this too much, but I have seen some examples. Even when an up-and-coming musician wants that major label deal or play that festival or whatever, most of the times uh, they don't realize that they are not actually ready for the big music industry, quote-unquote, and some uh, may do just fine without entering it ever. But the thing is that there is a reason to learn things yourself and gradually improving in different directions and not just trying to jump straight into a spot where a lot of people are looking at you. Because one of the advantages of being small is that you can experiment a lot. There are not a lot of there's not a lot of expectation and you can try different things. When you are growing, this is what happens if you are successful yeah. at it. You grow and you may not be that happy about where you get as the result. It's interesting. I mean, I really like that point. Also, it's a good problem to solve, I think, for many. Yeah. <laughs> when you have too many it's, people paying attention to you. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting problem. You know, and you, I tell you, though, if you, uh, I'm really glad I worked in hip hop media because it clues me into issues that you don't hear about as much in other areas. I mean, you know, at one point in hip hop, getting well known meant that you could have some criminal attention at a level that you don't get in musical genres. You know, mm-hmm. you do have people getting shot there. Not so much now, but, you know, particularly in the early days, it was really Wild West kind of stuff. So if you got a lot of attention, you need to be able to address security issues, for instance. And with any of these pop stars, I mean, they've got to figure out a way to go shopping at the mall without how do you fend off 20 or 30 preteen females who think you're God's gift to earth. So um, there's some real real weird scaling issues at that level. But I think even at a smaller level, like on my Danceland site, I got a shout out on Facebook from Les Twins from Parrot, from France. Now they're huge. They have this huge following. I suddenly went from around 100 to 200 hits a day to like 7,000 that day. And the thing was, what I'm doing with Danceland is trying to include all the genres. It's just me. So if people come and they're just interested in hip hop and they come back the next day and the next, which some people are doing, they're not going to get fed what they need to really connect with the site. So almost all that boost, I couldn't do much about it because of the way I'm approaching things right now and the limits to what I can put out. So Right. Yeah. Something to consider. It's really relevant because uh, sometimes any brands and musicians are so obsessed with uh, getting exposure that they don't think about the quality of the source too much. And if you get a lot of traffic or listens or whatever from, yeah, I think you've mentioned several examples related to that on this conversation. So earlier it was, yeah, so if it's just one track or song that performs really well, but it's not your main genre, then you will have a hard time satisfying 
all the people who like your stuff since you actually produce or record something in a different genre. So being careful with these things is really important. So many things around this growth hacking thingy. And I'm glad that I had a chance to discuss these things with you. We definitely should uh, continue the conversation sometime soon. It's a global topic and uh, it's an important one. I think that applying the growth hacking mindset to music may do some great improvements to many musicians, not just thinking about promotion or marketing, but actually growing and focusing on achieving the very specific goals and uh, using technology. It's something that is not difficult. You don't have to be a coder to use all the great tools that are available to anyone right now. So it was different five or 10 years ago. So I really appreciate all these insights. And uh, do you want to wrap it up with uh, an uh, advice for an aspiring musician listening to us right now? Keep listening? I don't know. I mean, all this stuff is, I think, can be useful to beginning musicians or people that maybe aren't beginning musicians but are beginning work on a career. You know, it's like try to take in what you can of the stuff that, you know, I think most musicians I know, they want to learn everything they can about music and how much of this other stuff varies from individual to individual. So... You know, take in as much as you can, learn about all these marketing and tech things. When you're feeling overwhelmed, just let it go. Don't let it become this weight dragging you down because then you won't be able to do the things you do well effectively. So, yeah, you know, I think it's over can be overwhelming, but finding ways to continue and not letting it get overwhelming is really crucial. I really like this. Everything that relates to productivity and organizing these. And our goal right now is not to make musicians confused. Like, what now? Mm. I also need to learn this growth hacking thing besides everything else that you've been talking about. It's not about that. It's about, yeah, fully agree with your point here. Once again, I'm linking to all your projects in the show notes. We'll definitely speak again. And uh, I appreciate everything that you've shared with us a lot. So thank you. Thank you, Clyde. Great. Glad to appreciate your asking me on. That's it. And before you go, check out the show notes. I left the links to all the Clyde's profiles and all the bunch of resources about growth hacking. So if you are interested in learning more, uh, you can uh, take a look at uh, the links. And uh, I hope you won't feel overwhelmed because uh, inside there is quite a lot of different articles and uh, and videos and interviews and resources. But it's really worth it. And I mean, it, it's interesting. Even if you are not in the tech scene and space, I, I hope that you can see how you can uh, apply the ideas of growth hacking to your project no matter what industry you are in and it's it is applicable to music i i keep researching and thinking about how exactly to apply to music what are the best ways to apply the growth hacking ideas and principles to the music because obviously there are some specifics uh and i will keep you posted on that we'll definitely cover the topic again on this podcast and uh, 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 if you feel like you 
don't fully get it still, once again, uh, uh, check out the links in the show notes and please just get in touch with me if you have any questions and ask. I will be very glad and happy to uh, tell you more and explain things. So talk to me and us, the Whispin crew, we are here to help you out at any time. Thank you for listening to the show and hear you next week. You have been listening to the We Spin Recipes podcast. Learn how we can help you improve your music career at wespin12.com. We Spin 12.